Welcome to the JetRails podcast, supporting you through the airwaves with information about website and e-commerce technology and strategies from design and development to security, marketing, conversion rate optimization, and web hosting. We bring you insights from industry leaders and experts hosted, edited, and published by me, Robert Rand, your friendly neighborhood tech ambassador. Hi, and welcome to an episode of the Jet Rails podcast. I'm Robert, your host. And today we're going to be talking about content marketing. And, you know, it seems like a simple topic and in a lot of ways at a very high level, it starts at a simple place. But through the years, content marketing has become particularly saturated, like a lot of other types of digital marketing. That leads to challenges. It leads to questions about return on your investment and uh, and really deserves a little bit of attention in order to, to decide if you should be doing it, how you should be doing it, how you can do it right, how you can do it wrong. <laughs> so with that in mind, we've got a great guest with us today. We've got Andrew from the Blue Tusker team. Um, Andrew, would you do the honor of introducing yourself? Yeah, sure. Thanks for having me. Uh, name's Andrew Maftone. I am the founder and CEO of Blue Tusker. We are a full service digital marketing company for e-commerce sellers. Awesome. And, you know, for our listeners, this is the normal question <laughs> I always break in with. Um, uh, how did Blue Tusker get its name? That's a particularly interesting <laughs> one that I, I don't think would, <laughs> would have come to a lot of people's minds starting Always an, an agent question. <laughs> so I've been uh, in e-commerce for <clears throat> about 15 years now, and I've been in the agency business for probably eight to 10 of those years. And so I've seen a lot of agencies, I've been in agencies, they always have names like I'm going to I'm going to make some up and I'll bet you they exist like boost marketing or high growth uh, marketing consultants or something like it's always something like that. And one of the things that I realized, especially when you're kind of starting out is from an SEO side of things, it ranking for those types of terms is very difficult because so many people are using them and a lot of them get replicated and there's agencies out there, there's like four or five agencies with the same name. And I was like, you know what? I want to create something that has nothing to do with anything. And then I'm going to let the brand build itself into it uh, being known as a marketing agency. So we basically kind of had this idea of we're just going to come up really with a name uh, that we thought was kind of cool. And then we're just going to make it, you know, we're going to make it known as an agency as opposed to making it too blunt and straightforward. Um so there, you know, there's a bunch of different like kind of ties around it. I've always been a big fan of elephants. Um, you know, growing up, I was pretty close to my grandmother. She loved elephants, so she had them all over the house. You have a couple behind you right now, um, and so like just a big fan of them. And so started looking at like you know different terms and stuff that they call elephants. And so I, you know, came across like tusk. I was like, oh, that's kind of cool. I was like, let's make it like tusker because like just tusk was kind of short. And then uh, my wife and I actually met in high school. We were high school sweethearts and our colors were blue and gray. And so I was like, all right, well, Tusk is gray. I go, I need to add a little bit more for this. And I'm like, all right, we're going blue Tusker. We're making it one word. And then uh, and then we just took the E out because I could. So I did. <laughs> and that's uh, that's basically how we came up with our name. That's awesome. You know, it's, I'm glad <laughs> that you added the sweethearts part there that, you know, I get in trouble because I tell people that my wife and I met while I was volunteering with a, a high school youth group. And the first mm -hmm. thing that they look at, like, was she a, an adult or was she one of the kids? Like, no, no, no. Okay. She, she was volunteering also. Ah, <laughs> uh, yeah. What could you do? <laughs> but yeah, you got to clarify matter. that. 
Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, that's pretty awesome. Um, love the name. So, uh, you know, with no further ado, I'm going to break in a little here and into our main topic um, for today. I, I know that a lot of brands create content to check a box that and so they've been doing it for years. Um, they mm-hmm. feel a need to do it. They need they feel like they need something popping in their social uh, feeds, you know, for, for their shoppers and followers. They feel like they need something to fill a newsletter with, et cetera, that some of it becomes process, uh, you know. So whether they're creating an article a month um, or every week or every day or other forms of content or, you know, th- there's a lot flowing out there. Are on In general, do you find that these businesses are using their resources wisely? Are they really getting the best no. bang for their buck out of content? No, no, no. <laughs> that was easy. Uh, easy answer. Next question. All right. All right. Podcast it's, over. It, <laughs> it's, it's just, you know, well, first of all, you have to kind of like define content, right? Like it's 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 kind of used as a general term because some people, when they say, oh, you know, we do a lot of content marketing, what they really mean is we do blog articles or other people will say we do content marketing, which really includes like everything. That basically is really just a general term for social media and email marketing and, and SEO and like really anything that you put out there is considered content. So it's kind of a general term, right? But when you get into like, is anyone doing it? Why? Like, obviously, there's companies out there that are doing it correctly, but I just find that most aren't because, like you said, a lot of them do it just to check a box. Like, we have a Facebook page and we post on there, be like, ah, yeah, but you're just kind of posting because you know you need to, not because you want to, or not really doing it well, right? Because they just are, like you said, checking a box. Same thing with the SEO side. Yeah, I can, there are countless e commerce sellers I've come across where they're like, yeah, we have a blog. And I look at their blog and it's got like a couple hundred word articles that they posted like once a month kind of thing. Like, okay, well, this is completely pointless. This is a top of funnel strategy. And you're writing these really thinking that people are coming to your homepage and going to your blog. They're coming to you because they want to shop. Blog's meant to bring people in. So yeah, I mean, to answer your question, like, no, I don't think, I think that most aren't doing it correctly. And I also think that most are just checking boxes pretty much like you mentioned. And, you know, it reminds me of a kind of strategy that I've seen where people can't find something else to post in social media. So they post about whatever holiday, you know, just, you know, mm-hmm. holidays none of us even know about sometimes and not always the interesting ones either, you know, but yeah. it's, it, it feels forced. It feels like they didn't have anything to bring value. So they're just trying to stay in the feed. Uh, you know, do you find that sometimes it's it's more important to have something out there versus nothing or uh, you know, and to sort of go for that low hanging fruit almost, or, or is it not, yeah. does it not, does uh, the fruit not taste good? <laughs> it doesn't really, you know, you know, fulfill anything. That's a good question. Having, um, having it just for the sake of having it isn't always the best move, but it doesn't mean that you should also just not do it at all. Like, especially for e-commerce, right? You get a lot of sellers now that will just kind of throw up posts on social media and while that's not a, that's obviously not the best way to do it, you also don't want to have nothing because then you kind of come off as like, we don't even know anything about this company. We don't like social media is almost like where people go to learn about your company and what it is you're about. What are you posting about? What is it you care about? And if they go to your you know Instagram page and you haven't posted in several months or maybe you just don't have one at all, 
depending on your brand and who it is you're trying to sell to, if if it's um you know like uh plush toys like you have behind you there for your elephants, right? Like if it's if you would think that that audience is at least on Instagram or maybe by now they're on like a TikTok. And so if someone was doing their due diligence and wanted to see like, all right, who is this company that I'm about to buy to? And they go to these pages and there's nothing on there. They're gonna be like, oh, I would feel like you're on here. So now it's kind of like, it's really easy to make a website. Everyone kind of knows that by now. So it's kind of hard to build that brand awareness and that brand trust by not showcasing your brand more often instead of just having like a website and hoping that people shop with you. Yeah. And I have to say now I, I'm never going to be able to show this episode to my kids because I've convinced them that that these things in my background, that these are important work items, that these are limited edition swag <laughs> items that really, you know, build credibility and and give me a sense of purpose. <laughs> no, but it's, um, it, you know, I, I do find it's a shame. I'm, I'm with you that, you know, especially if you have a page and it seems pretty dead that uh, you don't really want your brand feeling like it's uh, it, it's one foot out at the door, it's not really very active that, you know, yeah. people build logical constructs for themselves about mm -hmm. the uh, vitality and viability of your business. So um, I, I'm with you that I think there is that that balancing act. Um, but, you know, so maybe something in some cases better than nothing. But I, I think people can judge for themselves when they don't see anything of substance that yeah. it's just filler anyway. Um, mm -hmm. It could have been done by a robot. Uh, <laughs> probably in some cases is done by in a robot. Some cases it might be. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, so it's, uh, it's, you know, I also think about content mix because, and you mentioned, you know, some of these platforms that are important to it, you know, so TikTok comes up in conversations a lot now, obviously video um, mm -hmm. can be more important than ever, but you've got images, which can mean a lot of things could be lifestyle uh, photos could, could be some kind of infographics or things, depending on, you know, how the, how educational the sale is and, um, what they're trying to achieve. Lots of different things that come up aside from, of course, the written word. And, um, I mean, I, I don't know anybody that listens to podcasts, but you know, that's obviously an absolutely terrible medium, but, <laughs> uh, but you know, there, there are these, these different forms of content. Do you find that, you know, that um, the brands are struggling to figure out in some cases the right mix or they're trying to do it all rather than, f you know, focus on certain ones that might be more applicable. How has the media mix really impacted what we're seeing in the market? I think too many sellers are like trying to follow the herd, right? Like they <clears throat> they hear that TikTok is picking up so that they then they hop on TikTok or they hear that, uh, you know, Facebook ads are the way to go. So they hop on Facebook and they start running ads on there. And, you know, or I hear that we need to have a blog. So we created one. Thus, now we have one. And kind of like how we spoke about earlier, it it's definitely quality over quantity. Um, doesn't mean you shouldn't have anything, but it does mean if you're going to do it, you should, you know, put your best foot forward for it. But in terms of like, where they should be, I find that most companies don't realize that they need to do their own research into where their ideal customers are. There's countless people who, you know, could be doing blog articles. And honestly, like, blog articles are meant very well for like 
top of funnel stuff, when someone is searching for something and you know how to reach that certain person who might be interested in something, you just have to write something that they're interested in so they come to your site and then you want to have some extra features and stuff on your site to be able to grab their contact information or retarget them with ads or something, right? But there are some cases where blog articles, it's kind of like, you know, you could go that route, but it's it you don't have as many people doing search for certain things if you especially if you're creating a new category if you're creating a new category you have to educate the customer on how your product line works or how the whole category works in which case there's not really going to be that much search volume for it because no one knows it exists so now you're looking at more of a social side but so if you're looking at a social side you need to figure out like okay who are we targeting are we targeting you know I guess you could say primarily younger demographic, which would be TikTok, although it's still get, it's getting older now. Or are we targeting an older demographic, in which case, theoretically, you'd say it's on Facebook? Or are we targeting businesses, in which case you're on LinkedIn? Or maybe it's not businesses. Maybe it's just people that want to look good uh, dirt, like while they're in an interview or something, in which case you still want to target LinkedIn because you're basically targeting that audience of professionals. So it's kind of like knowing who is on which channels and then figuring out how to message them as opposed to just like a spray and pray of trying to be on everything because you think you should be or just going to a platform because you hear that everyone's on it when in reality, you need to know how to execute on it and target your correct audience. Otherwise, you're just wasting your time. Yeah. And, you know, I'm all for in some cases trying out some of these different (laughs) platforms and things, some of these different uh, you know, campaigns and mediums, but you got to prove the model, you know, and some of them, I I think part of the challenge is that it's such a long-term investment. So if we think about, you know, the SEO of today versus SEO, when you and I probably first started with it, Mm -hmm. the amount of time it can take to really generate ROI, um, you know, that you've got to commit. Yeah. So I, and that's the thing with all the platforms, right? Like any social media platform that you choose to go into or SEO, like you can't just post stuff like on occasion for a couple months and go, oh, I guess this isn't my platform. Like it just there's not a single platform that works that way. It's going to take time. Nothing goes viral on purpose. It's always an accident. Hence the name viral. So for someone to, you know, go on to TikTok and try it for a couple months and then turn around and look at their Google Analytics and see that they haven't gotten any sales and go, all right, this isn't working is ridiculous because you have to, A, you need to make sure it's quality. B, you need to make sure you're targeting the right people with the right messaging. C, you need to make sure you're posting enough. And then D, you just got to wait. You got to let it start to build and get that snowball effect. Well, and I think in some ways you need to understand the platforms. So if you're posting on Facebook and you're not boosting the posts, I'm not sure how many people are at, unless, you know, you're just wildly popular. I don't, mm-hmm. you know, I don't think the algorithm's picking up very much organically from business pages these days. Uh, yeah. I don't think they're the only ones um, by far. So, I, you know, there are these, these challenges sometimes you spend a good amount when you add it up of time and resource putting out content that nobody's going to see anyway. Uh, mm-hmm. you know, so having that strategy, uh, I'm with you about, you know, what, where's the, the end goal and, you know, almost reverse engineering, how are we going to get there? Uh, you know, and speaking of, you know, so I, I think of campaigns like SEO, um, in onsite and offsite factors. And as part of the challenge that comes with that, is that, you know, yes, you need the content on your site, whether that's in landing pages or blog posts or other uh, other forms of content that you're hosting. 
but then you also need to link back to it from other places and, and, you know, and help the search engines to see the quality and value from the outside and the interest from the outside. I find that often that is just as perplexing for brands figuring out what content should live on their own sites and what content should be living somewhere else and where that somewhere else should be. You know, should mm-hmm. they be posting the same, you know, blog post all over the place? On Medium and on, you know, I don't know, you know, there were older ones that uh, that certainly, you know, Blogspot and Blogger and all these things that people would use. Um, you know, should you be sticking to one place? Should you be, you know, trying to get articles published with magazines and third parties that accept uh, guest posts and things? Do you have at a high level uh, a working theory around th- that mix of on-site versus off-site content that you're writing uh, on behalf of the company? Yeah. So if we're doing like, let, let's say, you know, we're working with someone and we want to do like everything possible that we can for SEO, right? At a bare minimum, we usually say you should be posting an article on your own website once a week. At that rate, you need to also make sure that you have it from an on-page standpoint, it needs to be structured correctly. So you have your H1 tag, you have several H2 tags, a few H3 tags, you have several inbound links, several outbound links. You want to make sure that they go to certain product pages, but you also want to make sure that they go to other blog posts. And then you want to link out to other things that are relevant based on whichever term you're linking over to. And there's a lot of, you want to break it up. So now you got to think like, it's not just the words anymore. You want to make sure you're adding in imagery or infographics or anything to break it up because the average person, they land on a blog post and they see it's all a bunch of words. They may not read it. They may look at it and go, this is way too much. I don't feel like sitting here for 15 minutes. So that's just with creating the content in itself. Then you have the on-page stuff, which is looking into the rest of your site, which Google obviously is taking. I mean, it's something that they've always been working towards, but it's definitely something that Amazon does, which is really just catering to making sure that the experience is as good as possible for the user. So they want to know that your site's loading fast, that all of your uh, images have alt tags. So in case you know someone is uh, has is blind and has different aspects that they're using on their laptop, to be able to read images or, you know, something along those lines. And then you also have, you know, is everything getting crawled correctly? Is everything loading correctly in a certain order? Are all of your images of a certain size so that it's loading uh, fast enough on all platforms? Are you testing it on each browser? So there's a ton of on-page stuff just to make sure that your site is functional. Then you have the off-page stuff. So now you have your backlinking, your guest blog posts and stuff like that. There's a benefit to doing stuff like where you're posting in in magazines or if you're doing like something through like Forbes or something along those lines where you might get a backlink and you may not, but they already have a pre-existing audience that's big enough that just having an article there is really more of an accolade. So you can use that to your advantage for if you want to do your own press releases or if you want to just put it up on your site that you were featured on so-and-so, that's one way to do it. Or you want to do the other way, which is you start reaching out to other companies where they have something similar. Yes, they have a similar audience, but what you're writing about is something that you're very knowledgeable on, but also ties into what their audience might be interested in. So now you're writing articles that are clearly written for you, but I'm never really a fan of doing like salesy stuff. So when people do guest blog posts, they tend to do stuff that's like, you know, here's why we're awesome. Here's why you should work with us. Here's why you should shop with us, things like that. 
And to me, those are just sales pitches, which is not what a blog post is meant for. A blog post is meant to just provide value. So yeah, if you want to slip in every now and then how great your product is or how great your service is or whatever like that, the dominance is fine, but not to not to be too like a, too much like a car salesman. So doing that kind of stuff is where you want to make sure like, yeah, I'm going to have a couple links linked over to my site, but really I'm trying to get a, a little bit of the benefit of SEO, but also trying to reach this new audience on this other company's website just so that I can kind of benefit from that. So that's kind of where like the whole shared blog post sort of thing comes into play. You can also do where you reach out to other companies where you're just doing backlinks. So you can either A, do like a backlink exchange where you're like, hey, you have an article where you mentioned this. We have an article that is you know relevant to that. We'd love it if you'd link to us. We'd be more than happy to link to something on your site from our site, in which case you're skipping over the work of creating an article. You're already getting the backlink. It's not as much. You're not benefiting from the, your own brand awareness, but at least you're getting the SEO uh, benefits from it. Mm-hmm. Or the other thing that we'll do sometimes is we'll find an article on someone's site and s- see something like, okay, this section that they wrote is great. It's got a lot about what we do. They could add an additional paragraph about this. And we add our link in there and say, hey, we think that this paragraph would be great addition to you. We added our link in here because we have an article mm-hmm. that's relevant to that. And it would benefit the user of who's reading this section of this paragraph of this article, in which case they'll add that in there. So there's a lot of different ways, obviously, that you can skin yeah. that cat. So <laughs> I've got some follow up questions there. I mean, first, if you're dealing with reciprocal linking, you're trading links, you know, site A builds link to site B and B back to A. Mm-hmm. Is it the site that's got the higher rankings, the higher dom- domain authority, page authority, that sort of thing, the one that's going to benefit uh, less and and the smaller site almost, you know, the one that's going to benefit more from that because, you know, in, in that kind of a trade off or is it really just, you know, that you need some vibrancy in backlinking. And so even if it's reciprocal, um, you know, that's it's still a plus. Yeah, so it's always still a plus to a certain extent. Um, like domain authority is something that's been created by Moz or SEMrush or Ahrefs. Like they all have their own. So depending on which one you're looking at, your domain authority is going to be different. So what I always work with on our, with our team is I kind of tell them like you know if a do- let's say their domain authorities of your the website you're working with domain authorities of fifty, right? Let's try to get some backlinks from websites that are like. 30, 35 and up because anything lower. Yeah, it it might not help as much. It'll still help. But I have to think about like, all right, the time it takes them to reach out and then kind of go through the process is like, is it going to help us enough? So usually I go, all right, it's totally fine if they're at a lower, you know, domain authority than us, just not too, too much lower. And then that way we can still benefit from that. If they do the exchange and, you know, your company is higher then obviously they'll benefit um, as well. But if it's the other way around and let's say uh, we're a 50 and they're a 60 or 75 or something like that, they'll still benefit enough that it's worthwhile as long as, you know, the audience is relevant, what we're linking to is relevant, and you're just focusing more on providing value than you are actually focused on just nitpicking SEO rules, basically. Interesting. In ter- you know, when it comes to the actual campaign of reaching out, because I think it's interesting, the idea of instead of spending as much time on creating, you know, content from A to Z, um, just looking at existing content and, and reaching out to people about, 
getting a link from it or improving it in some way, adding that paragraph, as you suggested, what is the response rate like? Because I would imagine that the first, you've got to find the right person at the company and get through whatever gatekeeper, um, you know, they weren't necessarily looking to do this. I mean, maybe they are, maybe they do this frequently, but I would assume Mm -hmm. the average website, probably not. Um, How hard is it to really make those campaigns work? Is it more often than not that they, they pan out? Is it something where, you know, it's one out of 50 outreaches is going to generate a link, but you can do it in a more automated fashion. And so it doesn't hurt that kind of like email marketing, the one out of, you know, mm-hmm. a 2% conversion rate, that's not so bad. How does that actually come together? Uh, I mean, I'm going to give you kind of the quintessential answer here of like, it depends. <laughs> because <laughs> if, if like, if you have a really high domain authority and you're reaching out about doing a backlink exchange, someone's going to be a little bit more interested than they would be if you had a low one. So when you're first starting out, it's a lot difficult. We have some people where, you know, it's like, we'll get a link for every like, maybe like anywhere between every like 50 to 75 people that we contact every now and then when we have a higher domain authority and after a while, when things start to move up faster, we see that that actually starts to increase. So now it's like one in every 20 or 30 contacts will actually have someone who's interested. The guest blog post thing, and e-commerce can work well, but you really need to make sure that the company you're reaching out to isn't competitive, but is complimentary uh, yeah. Complementary to your product line in one way or another. So that can require a little bit more research, but the shared backlink thing is relatively simple because you're really getting a link over to your site because you wrote maybe probably a relative blog article or something like that. In which case, now you're just reaching out to maybe other businesses that might have written an article that even though their audience isn't exactly who you're looking for, their domain authority is good enough that it's worthwhile for you. And if you link correctly, right? So you write your blog article. Usually we try to aim for like a 1500 or like 2000 word post, give or take, depending on the article. Sometimes it's a lot more. Sometimes it just doesn't need that much. But if you're linking to a couple of your products in that page, right? So you're blog post is going to have its own page authority outside of your domain authority. So you're linking to each of those products. You reach out to a bunch of other websites to link to that blog post. That blog post page authority is going to go up, which means your other product pages page authorities will slowly start to go up as well because they're linking to it. So that's kind of one way to start getting your product pages to rank better by linking it to a a certain product, uh, I'm sorry, a certain blog page, and then just having other people backlink to that blog page. Mm -hmm. Instead of, you find a lot of, exactly. It's kind of like the pillar strategy, right? Mm -hmm. Because you get a lot of sellers that will end up adding like an entire paragraph or three uh, on their own product page, or they'll add all of this extra content and like hidden in the product page one way or another, because they think that, you know, that's going to help them on the SEO side. Yeah, different tabs, things like that, yeah. Yeah. And in a certain case, while that can help, the problem is you're actually hurting the user experience who's looking to purchase. They just want information. They don't want to sit there and read a novel. They want to like in and out. The quicker you can get them to purchase, the the higher your conversion rate is going to be. So by adding all that extra content on there, sometimes that stuff can get very out of hand and it can actually hurt your conversion rate. Even though your SEO is up, your conversion rate's down. So who cares? Mm -hmm. And do those campaigns ever work if you're just asking flat out for a back, if you're not offering reciprocal, if you're Mm -hmm. looking for a one way street, because I rarely see that stuff pan out that, you know, (laughs) 
it's it's the what's in it for me that we're in business yeah. too. Can that actually it's, work? It it definitely can. It's usually less common that we'll get you know a, a response from something like that. Usually, I I try to offer reciprocating it in one way or another, but sometimes we will have it where we're not reciprocating it. It's just like, hey, we think that this link will or this article will provide value to your readers. That's usually when instead of us just saying like, hey, here's a sentence you said, take that term and add our link. It's kind of like, hey, here's work for you, right? Mm -hmm. But if we were to say like, hey, we read your article and we think that if you added a small paragraph here or another couple sentences here, here's the sentences we would say. And you link to our article, we think that it'll provide much more value to your users, Mm -hmm. right? Or to your, uh, your readers. In which case, now they're looking at it and they're going, okay, Obviously, I know that they're trying to get a backlink out of this, but that is an interesting point. It looks like it might help me a little bit. Let me just copy and paste and throw this in there. Now, if you're submitting guest blog posts, things like that to these third parties, I, I've never been a fan of duplicate content of, you know, trying to seed out the same thing lots of places. But then again, you know, I've put out the occasional press release and uh, and that certainly gets syndicated. And, you know, you get the exact same copy all over the place. Do mm-hmm. you have a thought around... Um, trying to reuse the same content in these campaigns, submit the same or extremely similar content um, to lots of places versus having very unique, very one-off content that you're submitting? Yeah, I mean, at a certain point, you're going to start to struggle to think about, okay, what else can we write about, right? And the other thing that I find a lot of uh, sellers don't realize, especially when you're doing SEO stuff, is you can't just write an article and throw it up and then wait for it to be awesome, right? You you still need to promote it. And then what we do is we make sure that like, usually anywhere between like 60 to 90 days out, we go back and check it and then we adjust it. So we go, okay, based on the article that we wrote, where did it land in the rankings that we were aiming for? Okay, it's on page two, not good enough. Let's go make some tweaks. What else can we do to add to this? Okay, now it's uh, at the bottom of page one. All right, let's give it another month. Now what? All right, let's tweak it and do it again. So you, you have to keep updating it and changing things. Mm-hmm. But in terms of like replicating existing content, you're going to overlap yourself a little bit. You can't copy and paste stuff and, and give it to someone else. It, it's only going to hurt you. Google will flag you for duplicate content, in which case both pages will get hurt. And then you just kind of look like an asshole because you sent them something you already wrote that you've already published. So it's like plagiarizing yourself. Um, but you can rewrite stuff in different terminology, different words, basically just kind of rearrange things that maybe you've written before, that'll be beneficial. And you can just adjust it a little bit based on whoever it is, you know, you're sending it to, you can do stuff along those lines. But you also got to think like, there really is so, so much stuff you could write about. Because sometimes like, uh, uh, give you an example, we we work with a seller who's, um, they're like one of the biggest beef jerky companies online, right? And they were like, oh, you know, we did uh, top 10 um, tailgate snacks uh, for um, college students. Like, great. Now you got top 10 tailgate snacks for college basketball games, top 10 uh, tailgate snacks for college football games, top 10 tailgate snacks for college baseball games. Chances are all those tailgate snacks are going to be relatively similar, but they're different sports. They're targeting a different audience. So even though all those articles are relatively similar, 
we're targeting a different audience. So they might just show up in different search areas than we would have thought of. So even though we're replicating very similar content, even on our own site, we're making sure that we're hitting as many audiences as we can by reusing our own stuff and just adjusting it. Yeah. You know, it's interesting. I, a few weeks ago, I wrote an article for your team and that's part of how we, I know we got connected and all that, um, Mm -hmm. was about, uh, e-commerce loading speed. And it's a topic that I've written about from lots of different angles for lots of years, but you know, I might offer up, you know, three, four topics in different situations. People always ask for speed because especially like right now with core web vitals and other things, it's a top of mind topic for e-commerce merchants and especially for their their marketers and you know so sometimes it becomes important to look at things with okay what's the latest data what do we know now that we didn't know then what are people responding best to and you know how can we best educate them and uh, in a lot of cases when i go at a topic like that that i know i've written about before as opposed to going back to an old article that I wrote, you know, and and whatever other perspective on it, I just start from scratch. <laughs> and, and so you wind up with, you know, with the, I don't know, whatever, you know, now we're now into March 2022. You get the, the March 2022 version of this from me as mm-hmm. opposed to, you know, a rework of some older way of looking at it. Um, but I, I think that, you know, as as writers, as authors, whatever, you know, whatever we are, um, <laughs> that it... Um, it becomes important to figure out what is the best modality to that, that I can usually tell when I'm reading an article that somebody basically picked apart the other 10 top articles in Google and that weren't all that good in the first place. <laughs> and they, you know, and they spliced it yeah. together. You know, so we all kind of run into these things in the market that um, for better or worse, you know, that, you know, my goal is always to put out something there that that's, um, that I'm going to have a smile on my face if I go back and look at it, <laughs> um, you know, a few months down the line, that sort of thing. But I, I, I think that it, you know, it, it almost does lead to some of that challenge of, yeah, you know, how do you keep it fresh while also tackling topics that there's so much on the internet already that yeah. whether you've written it or whether, you know, a hundred <laughs> other people have written it, it's probably been tackled in some form before. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's... It- Brings up an interesting point. I was actually, I think it was just last week, I was in like this, you know, you get in one of those like threads on LinkedIn where everyone's got an opinion and all of a sudden it it it's like pages long. And so you're trying to catch up on what's going on. And basically the conversation was about SEO has kind of become it's not entirely about quality as much as it should be. Too many people know how to write an article just to get it to rank than they are to basically focus on the quality of it, which if you're giving your, let's say you're giving your marketing team, uh, they're focused on SEO, their target is organic traffic. Chances are they're going to just do what they can to get traffic. They don't give a shit who comes to the site because that's (laughs) their target, right? That's, That's a vanity metric. It's really got nothing to do with anything. I don't care how many users you have on your website, if they're not converting, it's pointless. Or if you don't have a solid way of retargeting them and you can prove that the organic is then turning into- That's right, at least pull them deeper down the funnel over time, yeah. Exactly, so the conversation was basically around like, does anyone even bother Googling anything anymore? Um, And this was mostly like, this wasn't uh, between e-commerce sellers, this was like just some, guy i can't even remember what business he was in but it, it was basically like does anyone even bother googling anything anymore or 
are we all just turning to uh, these groups that we're all in? So you talk about community building. So you have your Facebook groups or your LinkedIn groups and stuff like that. Of Like, do you even bother Googling anything or do you start just reaching out and asking everyone who you've networked with what their opinions are on certain aspects of things? Because when you Google stuff, those top 10 articles sometimes are crap. Sometimes they're just like, we pulled together a bunch of stuff that, you know, is vaguely relevant. And we, the number one guy really just looked at the number two to 10 guy and kind of took the best parts of it and threw it all into one thing. Then what's going to happen is the number 10 guy is going to look at one through nine and he's going to rewrite his stuff and then he'll be at the front. And it's just like, everyone just keeps switching places when in reality, those top 10 articles are usually the same thing because they're all just rewriting their own crap. This is why a lot of people don't trust marketers. Man, <laughs> yeah, I get it. <laughs> I've seen data on that. It, it's it's rough. Yeah, <laughs> um, mm-hmm. you know that uh, down there with with salespeople, <laughs> lawyers, whatever, that you know that marketers as much as you know it's thought of as um, yeah. as I, I think a, a more exciting space to be in in a lot of ways uh, yeah. in terms of trust with an audience. Yeah. Well, what's well, the thing, right? Is you get you get sales guys who everyone's like, oh, I hate. Like you take your typical car salesman, so you're like, I hate them because they're they're so. Uh, crass. They're so like straightforward, but at least they're just trying to, you know what they're trying to do, right? Whereas marketers, we're secretly manipulating you based on what we know about you. So like we're sitting around psychoanalyzing and basically stereotyping people and then creating content to manipulate them to do what we want them to do. I understand why we would probably be at the bottom of the totem pole of like professions that people don't like. (laughs) Well, I don't know if, if don't like, but I'll go with, you know, just in terms of trust. Yeah, well, <laughs> uh, there's some there's some differences there. They could like, well, you know, point. they could like a Super Bowl commercial, but they don't necessarily <laughs> trust what our motives are. Exactly. Um, it's, uh, you know, I, and so I, I'm, I'm going to pick one metric apart that, um, you know, you talked about a lot of the on-site things, the, you know, the H1 tags and all tags and, you know, and so on and so forth. And you talked about going back and adding to articles and things in order to, to get them to rank. Do you have a, a professional opinion around the length of an article? Like, you know, I, I typically, if I'm if I'm thinking about it ever ranking, it's very rare that I would write something that I would consider short form. Um, mm-hmm. That I, I think of at least you know a minimum to give the search engine something to chew on. I don't know how right or wrong these days, but do, do you have in your head any kind of a <coughs> Given that, and depending on what the topic is, maybe it is much, much longer and maybe it is shorter, but do you have any kind of average minimums, maximums that you think of that, that rank better? And, you know, and what does that say about how this all works? I mean, isn't there, uh, there's like a meme or something out there about like people that are in, uh, that do like recipe articles? Cause it's like, oh, I had to, I had to scroll like, through six pages of their life story just to get to this macaroni and cheese recipe. Like there is. Yeah, I don't do that. (laughs) (laughs) Sometimes it's ridiculous because you're looking for a certain answer to something and you got to scroll forever. Now, that's obviously probably why Google put the snippets together is just to speed up finding an answer to stuff. Um, I don't really have like a set number that I think is like a minimum or a maximum. Like if we're doing... So we usually will do like a pillar piece. So it'll be a lot more of a general type of article. And usually that'll push like four or 5,000 words. And then we'll do the other ones that will link to it. 
that are essentially um, going to be like, we just kind of refer to them as like cluster pieces. So those will usually be around like a 1500-ish word area, but it depends on the topic. If you, you know, even though, you know, we make fun of the game, we're still playing the game. Mm -hmm. So you look at like, all right, well, we know that the goal is to rank and we want to make sure that we're making quality stuff so that we're focused on converting and bringing value as opposed to just ranking. You're not just putting out a bunch of 400 (laughs) word pieces and calling it a day because the chances that that's really going to achieve a goal are relatively low. Uh, exactly you know so I, but you, I find the same you know that i we put out company updates and other important like blurbs that way absolutely that you know mm-hmm. but if we're trying to tackle a real topic and give people an understanding of the who what when where why how in whatever form we're not counting the words as we go that it's not you know it just no one looks at word count you know mm-hmm. right up through publishing that but we know that we're not trying to just put out the bare minimum and uh, and almost phone it in that we're trying to give a comprehensive look at something. So there's that balance. Yeah, exactly. I mean, you still, you still are playing the game. So if you're writing an article about a certain topic, you're going to want to look at like, all right, the top guys that are ranking, how many words do they have? Like, okay, that, that should be your starting point. Like, I need to do at least that. Right. But kind of to your point, um, and a little bit, also to your point about what you'd said earlier about like, you know, you have to boost on Facebook, right? Well, if you're writing quality content, the the way that Google will start to rank you better is, you know, by engagement, how many people are actually visiting this, you know, and, and knowing that the article is useful is because they are getting a higher, um, you know, time spent on page and things like that. And so if you're writing quality stuff, people will share it themselves. And that's the stuff that essentially will start to drive traffic to your site. So yeah, you can be the first page on Google or you know, you can be in the top five pages. But if someone comes across your article and is like, this is great because it's well-written and everything that you put in there is accurate, they're going to share it with their audience, which is chances are who you're trying to target, in which case you're now going to see an influx in traffic to that article. And then all of a sudden now you're ranking on page one. You didn't have to do you know, all these tricks of how many H2 tags you have and all these backlinks. You just wrote a quality piece of content that people started to share. I'm in partnerships when I'm not podcasting. If I'm going to write something that my partners wouldn't be, and we don't, you know, push that in any way, but, you know, but if they wouldn't be willing to share it, backlink it, that sort of thing, I've done something wrong. Um, Yeah. That, uh, you know, the quality is not there. So I, I think it's, you know, back to motives and goals and expectations and all that, that, uh, you know, it it seems like, you know, the topic that we came in with to try to talk about today, you know, is, is content crucial. Yeah. You know, if, if you want to drive people in, if, if you want to get people into the funnel, engage with people, yeah, it's going to be crucial. Um, but maybe it's really just about restructuring, uh, and, and back to a phrase I used earlier, reverse engineering. Okay. This is our goal. What are all the steps that are going to bring us there as opposed to just, you know, checking the same boxes that we've been checking? Yeah, Yeah. I agree. Well, I just put a nice neat bow on that. Look at that. (laughs) Um, Andrew, before we wrap it up for today, you've been really generous with your time. Um, Any final thoughts, any um, prognostications, anything in in your crystal ball that you want to share or something that we might have skipped over, um, you know, that that, uh, you think is important to today's topic? Um, I mean, I feel obligated to pick something, right? 
So, <laughs> so like, I mean, the only thing I would say is you're better off full-assing one channel than you are half-assing several of them. Like, I, I find a lot of sellers that will focus a little bit on SEO, a little bit on Facebook, a little bit on Instagram, TikTok, and all this stuff. And if you're doing a little bit of each, you're not giving it a true test. So if we implement anything new for ourselves or if we do it for the clients we work with or anything like that, we sit down and we go, okay, this is what it's going to take to do this correctly based on who we're trying to target. And this is how long we think we need at a minimum to figure out if this is going to work or not. And then what are we, what are our actual targets? And then that's the other thing that has to be set. Like you got to sit down and figure out because there's so many vanity metrics. Like we've talked about this whole time is organic traffic. Yeah, you can turn around and say my site gets 100,000 users a day, but if you're making like $30 a, you know, a month on sales, who cares? So you really have just a, a, a giant content suck of useless people. So at the end of the day, it's knowing or people that, who, you know, that might not be useless, but you're certainly not doing anything to actually yeah, get exactly. where you're trying to. Yeah, you, Congrats, you have not. You, you've your, uh, you've manipulated yeah. Google, but you can't get anyone to do what you need them to do. So yeah. at the end of the day, it really comes down to knowing who your customers are, where they're at and knowing exactly what you really need to be targeting. You know, I don't think I've ever, to my memory, heard anyone use the uh, the phrase full ass as opposed to half ass. I think we've got the name for a new agency. It's going to be, you know, it's, it's going to be full <laughs> ass marketing. <laughs> full ass marketing. <laughs> All right. I, I think that's going to drive it home for people. Um, Andrew, absolutely a pleasure having you on today. Thank you so much. And for our listeners and viewers, as always, stay safe, stay healthy and happy selling out there. Thanks for listening to the JetRails podcast. You can subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. We also post full videos of most episodes on the JetRails YouTube and Facebook channels. You can find links at jetrails.com forward slash podcast. Have questions about an episode? Is there a topic you'd like us to cover in the future? We're at JetRails on LinkedIn and Twitter. Do you want to sponsor this podcast? Sorry, but we're committed to ad-free listening. We are, however, always looking for guests that our listeners will benefit from. And don't forget to like the podcast on whatever platform you're tuning in from. It's a small ask, but it's a big help. We appreciate it. And more importantly, we appreciate you.